What is going on, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Next Milestone Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Moran, and this week on the Next Milestone Podcast, we have Naraj Vora as a special guest. He is the owner of the Stride Shop located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and New Orleans as well. He is a doctorate of physical therapy. He's going to go into his background, um, speak about his services that he provides at the Stride Shop, all of his experience with runner injuries, as well as, you know, gait analysis and how to become a better runner overall. Um, he's going to give a few book recommendations as well. I hope you guys truly enjoy this episode. Uh, please share it with a friend and tune in, hear what Niraj has to say. Thank you guys for listening. All right. And today on the next milestone podcast, we have Niraj from the stride shop. How are you doing today, man? Hey, good, man. How are you? Good, good. Uh, so you have a doctorate degree today, correct? In yeah. Physical therapy. Yeah. So physical therapy these days, um, has transitioned to a, a graduate doctorate degree. So Everybody gets their 35 months or three years or so of uh, graduate education to, to come out with a physical therapy degree. Awesome. Uh, so just tell us a bit more about your background and like where you went to school and stuff and yep. you know, like high school. Did you like run track and everything like that? Yeah. No, I grew up in Baton Rouge. Um, I did not uh, run competitively at all. Um, I, put, I grew up playing soccer and pretty much soccer alone after... Um, after middle school, uh, you know, dabbled in all the sports growing up, but um, middle school on, uh, after middle school, it was all soccer, and then um, played a little bit of, of club soccer at LSU for a few years, and then um, and then running came to me late, you know, in grad school after I didn't really have anywhere to, uh, to uh, have competition or... or um, use competitive juices on anything. I just started running um, when I was in graduate school uh, as a way to, to get some energy out. And I, I truly, I never really enjoyed running. I just kind of hated it. It was always the fitness uh, that we worked on with soccer. Um, but um, like a lot of people, running became kind of an outlet, um, mental kind of uh, outlet and, and stress relief. And, um, and it just kind of grew. Um, became one of those things where um, a guy that was living in the building with us uh, kind of challenged us or asked uh, my roommate and I to um, to run a half marathon and um, and we did and uh, it was one of the coolest experiences I've still had to date and um, and so running just kind of took off for me from there okay so from your fat first half marathon um, how many have you done I guess since then if you had to take a rough guess oh geez um, uh, I guess in true, true races, I've probably done, I don't know, 10, 12 half marathons. Um, I've done, uh, five competitive marathons and, um, uh, outside of, of racing. And I had this conversation recently, you know, it's probably been, um, two years since I've actually entered a race. I just haven't had the the juice to, to, um, 
to run in a race, that doesn't mean I haven't been, I've been enjoying training and, and running and, and trying to get better. But, um, but racing has been, um, has been less frequent for me recently. Um, and outside of, you know, those half marathons and marathons, there was always training and there were longer races and there were ultra relays and all these things. But, um, but yeah, not, uh, not nearly as many long races as a lot of people uh, who are competitive in the sport have done. Gotcha. Um, so are, are you married with kids and everything? I am. I've got uh, two little ones, seven and five. I've got uh, a wife who's 39 weeks pregnant today, and so we've got another one on the way. So, yeah. Awesome. That's, congratulations to that. Thanks. Um, so are, are they involved with, with running and stuff? That's what their question was kind of leading up since you do have a business that is heavily involved in, in the sport. I'm yeah. just curious if they was involved with it with you somewhat. or. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I try to... Um, to model for them they you know they see me when they wake up in the morning I'm usually coming back from my from my run and um and so they uh they know that I run they know that I I like to exercise and try to stay healthy but um neither of them are are (laughs) have really picked up the running bug at all they've both done these um kids triathlons the last two summers um which is a cool event that's put on here in Baton Rouge and one was in Zachary um, so they enjoy doing those. Um, and actually the last couple of weeks at weekends have been the first time where I've gotten both of them out and we've just kind of walked a block and run a block and walked a block and, um, and, uh, they've, uh, had a kind of a love hate with it the last few weekends. I'll kind of force them out a little bit and then, um, and then of course they enjoy it once they get out. But no, I haven't, I haven't pushed anything with them and they haven't, uh, they haven't pushed the issues either. So okay. I'm hoping that one day it will be a, a big thing for them, but no, not yet. Gotcha. Uh, so you, you mentioned that they do tries. So or they had in the past. So do they like enjoy swimming or biking more, I guess? Yeah, they enjoy, they both enjoy swimming a whole lot. Um, biking, they're both, um, <laughs> they they like it, but uh, it's not something that they get into a ton. The little one, um, uh, he still uh, prefers the training wheels even at, <laughs> at five years old. So um, he's not in any hurry to get away from them and, we haven't forced the issue, but they, you know, they, they both play soccer and they play basketball and they, you know, they play flag football and they're into, they're into, um, trying a little bit of everything. We just did some pickleball and all these things. They just, as much as I can expose them to, to, um, an active lifestyle, I like to, and then at some point they'll, you know, they'll narrow their, their focus a little bit. But right now I'm just trying to expose them to as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, though. Uh, so I guess once you come from that half marathon mark and you realize that you were kind of like in school for physical therapy and stuff, like when did you kind of decide that you wanted to turn towards your focus on running? Yeah. Um, you know, it just kind of it, it just became one of those things. I think a lot of people kind of go through this where they start running and who knows, maybe you start with a 5K or a 10K and then inevitably the next question when you're in the running community is all right what's next you know it's like you you barely finish a race and people are asking well what are you going to run next or what are you going to do next and I think um after the half marathon there was this it almost seemed natural to say all right what what's the next big challenge and 
Um, the marathon obviously became the big challenge. And I, after graduate school in St. Louis, I, I moved to Chicago and um, it was easy to, uh, to have the Chicago marathon carrot dangled uh, in front of me. And, um, and so that became the next race. And it, it just became a it became, you know, one of those things where it was a, it was a great outlet um, for me um, mentally as well as um, an easy thing to do. Running is one of those things where you put your shoes on and you walk out the door and and um, and there's this natural there's this internal competitiveness, right? Like how how can I get faster? How can I go further? How can I get better at this sport? And as simple as running is, it, it takes a lot of um, learning in the sport to get better. Um, and being in a world where my work every day involved working with people who were were active, I, I naturally came across patients and clients who were who were runners. And um, I kind of fell into a great situation where I was working with a, a couple of doctors in Chicago who were who were well known in the endurance community there in Chicago. And um, and so we formed a couple of um, uh, meetups monthly where we would discuss endurance athletes and patients and go over research. And, um, you know, I became involved with some running clubs there in Chicago. And, uh, and it just kind of grew. Uh, my passion for the sport grew. My passion for working with people who were in the sport and, and kind of guiding them grew. And, um, you know, along the way, you have friends who want to get into running. And um, I would, as I was training for a race, I would kind of help friends put together a training plan or work on things with their training. And um, eventually became like, man, I'm doing this so much with with friends and, 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 and work. This is something that I just really have a passion for and I want to do and it took a long time to 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 grow the courage to to make the stride shop and this kind of practice a, a thing um that that I did but um uh, meeting my partner RT in New Orleans uh helped a lot and we both kind of um uh, egged each other on to to kind of come into this world together yeah for sure uh, so you mentioned the Chicago Marathon. So that's one of the world war majors, one of six. Have you done any other ones? I've done Chicago and New York are the two okay. majors that I've done. So, um, and both of them are, uh, you know, life-changing kind of things you don't forget. Um, I, I got the pleasure of running um, New York with my brother, um, who's not really a runner, um, but took on the challenge of, of New York. So we got to train together a little bit and we ran the race together. And that's, um, that's something that, um, that, uh, is, is, uh, a memory that, that I'll hold forever. It's, it was just a, a really cool experience. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any uh, desires to run the Boston marathon? That'd be all three in the U S yeah, that would be fantastic. I'll tell you what, over the last couple of years, like I mentioned, I haven't been really racing. I think right. that that Boston is probably getting a little further away than closer away for me recently. Um, but, uh, man, uh, Boston is just, you know, you know, as an athlete and a runner that, uh, Boston is one of those, those, you know, it's, it's kind of the pinnacle for, right. for athletes and runners in, in, in the States. And so, um, yeah, that would be a dream come true. For sure. Yeah, I was about to literally say the word pinnacle as you said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
All right, so you were talking about the marathon. So I know that we had spoke before in the past about ultras. Yeah. Um, so how many ultras have you done before, and, and how do you train differently whenever you kind of tier between the two? Yeah, so really ultra-wise, I've done more relay than I've done um, full ultras. So I've done, when I lived in Chicago, there was a race that was um, uh, from Madison, Wisconsin to Chicago, and it was 200 miles, and so we would form teams, and I think maybe we did it three, I don't know, four years. And we had as many as 10 people on the team, and then uh, I think one year we had six people on the team. And so, you know, everybody would run somewhere from, 20 to 35 miles along the way. Um, so, you know, those races, those relays, which I think have gained a lot in popularity and the Ragnar and that kind of thing, is about, um, you know, it's not about running a long distance. It's being able to, to run and then stop and wait for a few hours and do it all over again. Um, which is a is a very different experience. I did one with some buddies in Arkansas that was a trail. Um, there were five of us, I believe, um, and I want to say it was 175 miles or so. And then um, uh, did one out in Moab in Utah that was also a um, a longer form relay race with three of us. Um, but those races, training wise, um, are are about like can you run five, seven, eight, ten miles in the morning and then follow it up in the evening with another five, seven, eight, ten miles and and just building the ability to, one, callous your mind to say that you can run on really tired legs uh, and, two, um, just build general endurance um, to uh, to take on the, the rigors of, of running and stopping and then running again. Um, and then, you know, I, I did 40 miles on my 40th birthday with, with a lot of friends and uh, just around the city of New Orleans, which was an, an awesome uh, time as well. And that training for to run 40 miles is just the same. You know, it's not it's truly not about the racing at that point. It's about can you get the miles on your legs to be able to tolerate that that distance? Um, so, yeah, it really is about. Ultra ultra running, I think, and and like we, you and I talked about this just just now before we came on, uh, is you know you can a lot of people can run these distances, but to truly race these distances is a whole different beast, right? And so, uh, when it comes to running the distance, it's about building, right? Building your body, um, creating a stimulus that will. Um, fatigue you and then allowing your body to recover a little bit stronger and doing it all over again right break down build up break down build up and so in those cases you got to give yourself a long runway to to build that kind of endurance and uh, and stay the course it's, it's consistency trumps everything in these kinds of uh training blocks you know right so many people will say you know i've got 12 weeks i really want to race this and PR this race. Well, you know, all right, that's great. But what have you been doing the last 24 weeks to put you in a position to do that? Um, uh, running is a, you know, you can you can realize some pretty massive gains in your fitness fairly quickly when you're new-ish to running. But when you've been uh, consistently running and you want to spike a big PR or really take some 
some time off of your races, it, it takes a long, long time to, to realize those changes. Right. Um, so, for example, I know that you were kind of involved with uh, one of your clients with the Leadville 100. And yeah. uh, you we've spoke before in the past, too, about how, like, lots of people sign up for that as their first 100. And there's also a lot of drop-offs, too. <laughs> um, I guess what... Why is that the reasoning? Do you think a lot of people just aren't prepared to run 100 miles like mentally, or is it that they just have the desire because it's popular and then they just can't make it? Yeah, yeah, you know, ultras have gained popularity quite a bit in the last 10, 15, 20 years, right? And um, and as I said before, it's kind of like what's next, right? So a lot of people who have run marathon distance um, take on the next challenge and whether that next challenge is the 50k or 100k or what what have you um it's very it's just very different right from training for for racing a marathon to going to an ultra distance some people will say it's easier to run ultra than it is to race marathon right and um there's a great argument to be had for that uh but um Leadville specifically is is a race that doesn't require a qualifying time. Right. So there's a lottery, and a lot of people can get into that 100-mile race that don't have uh, a clue what it takes to run 100, 100 miles, right? So um, that's probably why there's such attrition in that race is that um, there's uh, an kind of a, an oh shit factor to showing up and getting 30 miles into it and realizing what you've gotten yourself into. Um, Leadville is, a, you know, it's a pretty brutal course as well. Um, there's a ton of elevation and, and, um, and it's not like you're running uh, on level pavement, you know. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into the DNF set at Leadville, but Truly, training for a hundred mile race is is a beast. It really is, and you know, Leadville's in August, and um, and so for those of us here in Louisiana, training for a hundred mile race in August means that you're putting in your peak mileage in summer. Yeah, right. And if you look at last summer when every day was a hundred degrees, it, it takes. You're walking a very, very thin tight wire to be able to achieve the training that you'll need to be able to complete that race. And um, and luckily, you know, a couple of our clients in New Orleans who, man, I don't, they were just animals. I mean, their training was spot on and they both uh, did great. And um, very thankful for those guys um, that they were able to show uh, show us what it looked like to, to be able to achieve something so big. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about the stride shop in your business a little bit too. Um, so what kind of services do you provide here at the shop for, if somebody was a client to just walk in for the first time as a runner? Yeah. Yeah. So we, our clients kind of fall into two categories, one being those who may have an injury and are dealing with injury, whether it's keeping them from running or whether they're running and just kind of trying to run through pain. Um, those are clients who we see for physical therapy. And so 
Traditionally, physical therapy, uh, you know, you get a referral from your doctor who diagnoses you with an injury and, uh, and you go to physical therapy. Um, and so we've, traditionally physical therapy, you'll go in, you'll see somebody, you're in therapy two, three times a week and um, you're working with your therapist some, but you're also working with an assistant or a tech or, or those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, who you're working with may or may not be familiar with running whatsoever. Um, and so at the Stride Shop, we, we work not exclusively with runners, but a large part of our clientele is runners, and we ourselves are runners. And so we like to take a little bit of a different approach. Runners tend to be very type A, tend to be very driven, very focused, and, um, and just want a plan. And so we don't see people two or three times a week. We see people... And we spend all of our time with them. We don't have assistance. Um, and we come up with a clear, actionable plan and say, all right, now it's, you know, the, the onus is on you to, to carry out this plan. And, and, um, and not that we aren't there after the first visit, but there is a, there's a kind of a different um, approach at the Stride Shop. And so we work with people who are experiencing pain or injury and uh, want to get back to either running or just a very active lifestyle. Um, and then outside of our physical therapy, we also do either strength training for people who are running and just want to uh, gain an edge, right, get better. Um, we'll analyze gait um, to pick out things in people's stride or where they're training that, um, that can improve and make them a more efficient um, runner or even just try to prevent injury. Um, and then we'll also work with um, with people who are looking for a running coach. Um, and so sometimes people who are very experienced, sometimes people who are new to the sport. Um, a coach is, um, is somebody to, uh, to guide you um, with your training plan, with your strength training, and also somebody to just discuss what your training looks like and, um, and what's smart and what's not. A lot of us get ourselves into trouble, right. uh, myself included with training, um, uh, because we think we know exactly what we're doing, but to have somebody to, to, um, to take a step back and look at the big picture with you is really helpful too. So, um, physical therapy, strength training, um, evaluating your gait and, uh, and run coaching is what we do here. For sure. Um, I want to talk about the Run Easy AI deal too. So I kind of pulled up my numbers so you can use yeah. it as, as an example yeah, if you sweet. want me to talk about this. Yeah. But um, I was just curious as to like once you have the data, yeah. how can a runner implement this into his training? Let's say if they were to come to you, do this software review, yeah. and, you know, do the gate essentially and they have the data, like what's what's the next kind of plan i guess yeah so run easy is is um is a is a software um that we have started using um that basically uses a sensor uh, over your sacrum so right over your kind of lower back and buttocks area who, that um that really focuses in on three key metrics and that's um impact the magnitude and duration of impact um, the stability um, at your hips, how much kind of medial, lateral, and wobble you have in your hips, and then the symmetry from side to side. Symmetry is kind of king in, in running, right? We, we, we look to achieve uh, symmetry as much as possible. Um, and so Run Easy helps us take those, those metrics um, and really focus in. And, and the way I like to approach this is um, of all these, 
numbers that we get from any gate analysis software, um, take a step back and really look at very simply, what are we measuring and why are we measuring it? Right. So um, if somebody comes through our door and wants a gate analysis, um, there's a huge component of that that uh, is me and you sitting down face to face and talking and talking about training because sometimes what we see on the on the metrics is is fantastic but the metrics may not be as important as saying look matthew like dude you you can't run 40 miles one week and then run 16 miles the next week and then jump to 62 miles the next week and just not have consistency right like the metrics can can tell us as much as they want but if we don't have consistent training that is well thought out and well carried out, none of this matters. So there's a there's a large component when somebody comes in for a gate analysis that's just about the simple kind of foundational things. And then when we get into, uh, say we've covered those things and everything is great, you're training perfectly, you're getting great sleep, uh, you're fueling your training well. Um, when we get into the metrics, um, I really like to pick things off one at a time. It's really hard to make wholesale changes in a runner's uh, gait, um, uh, in a runner's strength training, um, and overall training plan. You have to really just kind of tweak and take the time to go as you can. So in your case, you know, I think that the biggest thing that we found was this symmetry right uh, how do we uh, achieve more symmetry and i think it was your uh your there was some left-sided um, imbalance that we wanted to work on both at the hip and at the foot and ankle if i'm not mistaken um, and so we take this and we say that you know you're a you're a fairly kind of bouncy runner right and so if i see somebody who's more bouncy an athlete that's more bouncy or springy. Um, one, I want to make sure that that energy is not being displaced, displaced up and down as opposed to being used um, to get you moving forward. And so we'll look at cadence. What is your cadence at a certain pace? What is your cadence as you increase pace? And is it, you know, is it giving you the best chance to succeed um, uh, in a distance like the marathon, right? Um, and so if there is something to be tweaked with cadence, we can certainly work on re cadence retraining. Um, if there's something that's truly an asymmetry in terms of like, all right, we see an asymmetry on run easy, let's test this, right? So what is, uh, where is this asymmetry coming from? Is it coming from your foot and ankle? Do we need to test heel raises on one side versus the other? Is it coming from your hip? Do we need to work on more single leg exercises versus uh, somebody who may be doing a lot of powerful lifts or movements in their training, um, but is ignoring the single leg part of what needs to go into their training? Um, and so we can tweak training to be reflected in your running. And so what I'd like to do with, with people with the run easy is get this initial data and then say, all right, here's our plan from what we see. Come back in six weeks, carry out this plan, and let's see what changes in terms of your in terms of um, the metrics that we get. And um, and if we get things right, things change. 
and it doesn't have to be this massive um, change, but if we know we're heading in the right direction, we can certainly continue down that path, progress things, and and, um, and try to move along. Um, in your case specifically, we talked. Uh, remind me if I'm if I'm saying this uh, incorrectly. We talked specifically about adding some of these single leg exercises at the the foot and ankle, um, yeah. and uh, and so hopefully soon we'll we'll get you back on there and kind of see where you stand. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm probably down to do that again. Probably sometime in march after the, the last <laughs> yeah, marathon after you get through this gauntlet stuff. yeah yeah man so yeah <laughs> the first of three is done for right now yeah but by the time this comes out i think uh i think the marathon for also will be next week so yeah yeah, yeah you've got be, a gauntlet of a couple of months yeah it's gonna be a tough one and then i i finish it all off with the uh crescent city classic nice the victory lap yeah <laughs> so we'll see what I can, uh, and if look, I can catch a pure. Uh, racing 10K is uh, is an animal that's all its own as well, right? Like people will race a 10K, and somebody like yourself or people who have run lots of distances, a 10K seems like it's only a 10K, right? But the fact of the matter is, racing a 10K is um, as brutal and as challenging as racing some of these longer distances, if. You don't have experience doing them. Most people go out way too hard in a 10K when you've been somebody who's been marathon running and training. Right. And by mile four and a half, you're wondering how you're going to ever live through the last, you know, 1.7 miles. And so yeah, 10K is another is another animal in itself. Yeah, that kind of happened to me with the uh, Tiger 10K here in December. I uh, I stuck to my plan, but and I did get the times that I wanted, but I was like a minute and 30 seconds to too slow because i was i was going for sub 40 and i got 41 30 i think or something like that and it was uh due to the fact that i had probably right around like you said about four and a quarter four and a half i started to experience the kind of the left calf pain kind of how like today mm-hmm. i'm suffering but um i think that was probably due to me co- coming out too fast in the beginning maybe i'm not sure i probably could have negative split it a little bit better but I'm gonna learn from it for the uh, for the next one. So that's what the sport is all about. You learn, right? And it's a moving target. I think what it worked for you one year to PR may not work for you the next year. Right. Uh, we have to be very um, open to um, to change in our training as we go. For sure. Um. So let's talk about common runners' inter- injuries that you that you see. Um. So like a big topic that everybody talks about is like does running hurt your knees like you know throughout life and things like that and like the the term runner's knee like just kind of talk about the knees i guess for right now and then we'll dive a little bit more into it sure yeah um yeah so um running is not bad for your knees <laughs> there there have been these longitudinal studies over over decades that that show that running, you know, recreational runners have a lower incidence of, of osteoarthritis and degenerative changes than do um, than do sedentary individuals. Um, and so I think running is cutting a bad rap. I think it can be bad for your knees if you aren't taking care of your, your body. Right. And that means taking a, a look at how frequently and how hard you're running. Uh, what you're doing outside of running to to allow you to run with longevity and and how you are um, 
framing running in your world, right? Is is running your all and everything, or is running a part of what you're doing to sustain a healthy lifestyle? And that doesn't mean you can't be competitive. That doesn't mean you can't run hard and 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 really really challenge yourself to do things that you never thought you would do. But these things require uh, some effort outside of running. We look at any other sport. Um, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, um, all of these athletes are doing things off of the court and off of the field to allow them to um, perform, to compete. And uh, for some reason with our sport uh, in running, uh, there is very much the idea that, man, I don't need to lift weights. I don't need to work on um, my mobility. I don't, you know, I don't need to fuel properly. I can run pretty well. It's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting how we approach the sport of running, maybe because it is so simple. It's something that we've done since we were children. We just run, right? You run here and you run there and, and you're playing and you play sports and, um, but running absolutely requires some, some maintenance. When it comes to injury, I think that knees are kind of at the at the mercy of what happens at your hip and what happens at your foot and ankle. And so there's a lot of what goes into treating somebody with knee pain that really is about examining what's going on at your foot and ankle as well as what's going on at your hip and, um, and truly kind of finding the source of what is leading to this excessive stress at the knee. A lot of people have IT band pain. A lot of people have um, kind of patellar tendon pain. And as much as it can be mechanical, like I talked about with the gait analysis, we can do as much physical exam and exercise as we want. But if we don't sit here and talk to somebody and examine their training, Sometimes, and I hate to say it, but you know I'm guilty of it as well. It's it's kind of user error, right? Like we we put ourselves in a position uh, with either over overtraining, or trying to ramp up too quickly, or or trying to just run too hard too often, that um, that our bodies kind of push back a little bit. So um, no, running is not unhealthy for your knees, but. It requires some awareness and some um, some work outside of running. Dan John, who's a who's kind of this big strength coach, who's very well known, uh, will say we're familiar with the 80-20 rule in running, right? Like 80% of your miles are, should be easy, 20% you can do with some intensity. Well, he'll say for anything that you approach in terms of sport, 80% of your time should be um, practicing that sport specifically, so running. The other 20 should be um, doing the things that it takes to be able to continue to do that sport, right? So that means it's different for everybody. Some form of cross-training, whether that be yoga, whether that be lifting, whether that be meditation, whether that be walking, you know, whatever it is, that 20% is really important to be able to maintain that 80. And so that's kind of how I like to talk to people about um, about running, especially when it comes to their knees, yeah. Yeah, I really like that approach with the... Uh the 20% being involved in, I guess, like the other activities that, you know, a lot of people just don't, don't choose to do yeah. that I find at least it, um, among some of the runners that I know. Um, so what are like a uh, typical calf injuries that you see and how do they occur? I guess. Yeah. 
So calf injuries um, are interesting. Um, I feel like we get them in waves. Uh, we'll see a lot of people with a calf strain or Achilles tendonitis uh, all at once. And whether that be um, a, uh, a change in the weather where all of a sudden people can run farther and run faster, um, I don't know uh, if that has anything to do with it. But um, once you get past the age of 35, 40, um, Achilles tendonitis and calf issues become more frequent or, or more, uh, they're more common in this, in that age group. And, and that's partially due to, to the fact that our calf muscles, um, that calf muscle complex tends to atrophy a little bit more quickly than, uh, other large muscle groups as we age. And what we know of distance running is that our calf muscle complex is responsible for a lot of what happens. Where it's responsible for a ton of shock absorption, and it's it's responsible for a large part of your push off when you when you're running. And so, if you're 45 years old and you're trying to build your volume, but you've never once done a heel raise or worked on your single leg exercises, but you're you know, naturally father time is, is causing your calf muscles to lose mass, your Achilles tendon to lose the stiffness that it takes to land and push off. It's naturally going to lead to more frequent calf issues. Um, the other thing about calf pain, strain, Achilles pain, is that we tend to treat it like we do ankle sprains, meaning like if it hurts, we'll kind of just wait till it goes away and then we'll start training again. Uh, the fact is if you just wait and take time off, well, your muscle is losing even more capacity, right? And then you try to plug back into training um, kind of where you were. And you've lost some yeah, of the right? capabilities. Yeah. yeah, and so it's natural that three months later, two months later, you're going to have the same injury. And so calf strains tend to be repetitive because we just don't treat them well and we don't give them the attention and time that they probably deserve. Um, now, this doesn't have, it's not that it doesn't happen in younger athletes, um, but we tend to see it in kind of the, uh, the older population, the master's athlete, if you will, yeah. Right. Um, and so uh, I think that it requires a lot of attention and detail when we're treating these things. Okay, cool. That's a very fair answer. Um, what do you think about like carbon plated shoes? Do, do you think that involves any injuries? You know, do you see like more more runners tend to be getting injured due to carbon plated shoes? Is, I guess is what I'm getting at compared to like, let's say they run in you know like the more stable ride shoe type of deal yeah. on the on the normal, but come race day or race week they're running in the carbons. Do you do you find that that could potentially lead to injuries? Yeah, there's certainly the potential. So the carbon-plated shoe is basically this kind of trampoline for your foot. And so as we're talking about calf strains and the Achilles tendon, um, if you run a lot in carbon-plated shoes, um, you lose some capacity uh, in your calf muscle and your Achilles tendon doesn't have to be as stiff as we would. And so when I say tendon stiffness, um, stiffness is something that we want in a tendon. We want a tendon to be able to um, have this rebound. 
we want a rubber band in that tendon that hasn't been stretched out. Right? You think of a rubber band that's been used over and over and now it doesn't have that like rebound or you can't really stretch it and it, and it recoils. We want that in our tendon. And so um, running in a carbon plated shoe too often uh, will cause you to lose that. Now race day may be different. Um, and I would suggest that if you are gonna run in carbon plated shoes, race day is not the first day that you Correct. that you use them. Um, but uh, knock on wood, I haven't seen um, uh, too much in the way of people using carbon plated shoes too often leading to injury, maybe because they're uh, they're cost negligible at this point, you know, like they, they, um, not too many people can afford to, to be in a carbon plated shoe too often, but, um, but they're growing in popularity, right? Because the fact is they, they work. Yeah, they work. Right. And so, uh, I, I'm, I'm anticipating that we're going to see more and more of that as we go. A carbon plated shoe, um, is great for performance not ideal for a bunch of training um so what are like other common injuries that you find in in runners that are like kind of typical i guess you know like yeah the typical day you know for you whenever somebody comes in they say i have this problem like what's like something very common that's across the board that you you can find a quick approach to i guess yeah i I see a fair amount of plantar fasciitis pain um and um and I also see a fair amount of kind of uh, hamstrings and lateral hip pain. Um, when we talk about plantar fasciitis, I think that, again, the approach has traditionally been stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, roll it out with a massage ball or a frozen bottle of water, ice it, and never walk barefoot. Um, and again, it doesn't really approach the 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 issue, right? We're, we're trying to get it to feel better, which is fantastic, but we aren't approaching the, the real root of the problem, which is you've developed plantar fasciitis, meaning that you've probably in all likelihood had these kind of repeated strains to all that tissue along the bottom of your foot and have not been able to either allow your body to heal from that um, in between training bouts or you um, there's something mechanically that is leading to excessive stress at that foot well how do we how do we negate that do we need to get stronger in the calf muscle complex do we need to work on ankle mobility do we need to work on single leg stability all the way up from the hip down to the foot um, treating the symptoms is great but again Probably in a few months after it feels better, if you return to training, you're going to end up in the same place. So uh, we like to approach plantar fasciitis by uh, by improving our our strength and coordination of that leg and foot, as opposed to just yeah making it feel better. Um, and the same goes for hamstring strains. I, I think that I'm seeing a, a recently more of them, and whether they're true strains, I don't know, but they're in overuse. Um, as you get into a lot of speed training, or if you are training for a race that is hillier, and all of a sudden you start working on incline, um, your hamstrings may start barking at you a little bit. And so we have to improve our capacity and our strength and our tolerance for, um, for that hamstrings muscle group. And we need to do that 
in several different ways. And, um, it all comes back to kind of like, what do you do outside of running that's going to make you a better runner? And uh, you can probably get away with a, a lot of this stuff in your mid-late 20s, maybe even early 30s, right? Um, but as you get past that stage, it does require a little bit more attention. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like for this next race that I have coming up, it's it's way way more hilly, you know. So mm-hmm. that's I'm kind of in- implementing a little bit more, like doing deadlifts and stuff to try to get the uh, the hamstrings a little bit more strength and trying to include some like incline walks on treadmills and things yeah. like that. So I can definitely feel the soreness in the uh, <laughs> the hamstrings right now. Yeah, so. you're rare when it comes to a lot of runners. I mean, you you do. Um, you do a lot outside of running, and you're right. not afraid to walk several miles. You know, you're rucking constantly, and right. those kind of things pay dividends, as evidenced by your, you know, your recent race. You hammered it, you nailed it, right? And right. It probably has a lot to do with all the things that you did outside of just your run training. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too, and that's that was part of the. So I kind of recorded a podcast already. That, as of this recording, it's out, but um, as of right now, it's not. But I, I kind of talk about that, like, during the race, um, when I got, I was doing kind of like some uh, negative splits is what the kind of beginning was kind of stage-like. And whenever I got to about mile five, mile six, I called back up to the 330 pace group, which is what my original goal was going to be. And I sat there running with them for about a mile, and I was like, I think I have more in me than this you know and I was like everybody kind of told me like you're gonna feel great in the beginning you know you're gonna feel great in the beginning like just don't do it don't do it don't do it and I was like I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I kind of started running a little faster you know but I was uh pretty much what I did I had a bunch of times written down on my arms yeah. for like uh I had like the miles broke down in batches and for each batch I was gonna run a certain pace well, pretty much what I did was subtract 10 seconds from every single one of those paces. And uh, I just stuck with that until I got to about mile 20. And then my leg was really kind of screaming at this point. So I was like, let me just hold. The, I think I was running 730s right there. And I was like, let me just hold the 730s until I get to mile 24 and then I'll, I'll cut loose. But the original goal for me was to do 330 until I got to the half and then cut loose and try to do the negative splits on the back end and, you know, catch up from mile 20 to mile 26 was to sprint pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, with my leg, the way it was, I was just like, let me just hold seven thirty rather than risk getting hurt and then not finishing, you know? Yeah. So I just stuck with what, what I was comfortable with. And then, uh, once I got to mile 24, where it was more comfortable for me to take that risk, I, I took it. So, yeah. It's likely that a lot of the things outside of your running that you did, your strength training, your rucking, I mean, you know, right. they, they give you the, they give you a different awareness of what your body's telling you. They give you the confidence to do things a little differently during a race, like to, to send it at mile five or six right. <laughs> when people are telling you not to. I mean, the, these all, these things are all important. Right. Yeah. And it, that, that's exactly what was going through my head. I was just like, I, I feel like I trained differently than what most people had. Cause like I was doing like these long runs, like, you know, like 22 23 miles you know and people were like oh you you shouldn't have to go that far training for a marathon well like i did you know <laughs> and <laughs> i was doing all the strength training on top of that and doing dog walks and rucking and i was like well 
I think I just trained a little bit different than what most people typically would. So I just went ahead and, and took the, the gamble on the race, and, I mean, it paid off. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned since since um, really kind of taking this leap into the stride shop and seeing a lot more runners than what I used to, um, is that what works? Everybody's got an opinion on what works, right? And what and that general generally that opinion is based on what has worked for them. Um, I've just found out that I've been wrong so many times about what I think works that if somebody tells me that something has worked for them, that's awesome. Great. That doesn't mean you did it wrong. That doesn't mean right. you did it. It's, it's just that it worked for you. And what works for people is just so different that you have to be open to learning from those kinds of things. So maybe, you know, maybe you have people who saw what you did and they're going to incorporate some right. distances over 20 miles in their training, right? And, um, maybe that will not go so well for them. You know, Correct. Uh, but this, 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 um, everybody has an opinion on what works and there are a million ways to skin this cat to get better as an endurance athlete. And so if you are close minded or not willing to, to check your kind of biases at the door, you, you probably aren't going to get very far. You yeah. Know? I completely agree with that. Um, so let's talk about setting goals for a race based off of previous races mm-hmm. and your training data. So like, let's say I've, I've came to you at the stride shop. I've gotten this run easy AI data. Uh, or let's say we've done a gate analysis. I have the data. I've been training for a while and I'm asking you like, what do you think my goal should be for, you know, this 10 K, this five K, this marathon, whatever it may be. Yeah. How do you take that approach is, is kind of the question. Yeah, so you're asking uh, what uh, what your pace should should kind of look like. In, right. Yeah. I think that, that um, there's, there's a fair way to go about that, and I think that the fair way is kind of show me what you've been able to do in terms of your running in, in conditions that are similar to a race day, right? And so... Um, most people that are training for a, a, a big race, I like to see them simulate a distance that is somewhat similar um, four to six weeks before that race. And, um, and so that, that changes depending on the distance that you're talking about, right? Like so um, that may be depending on a runner's experience. If you're talking marathon distance, if you are four to six weeks out from your race and you've got 12, 16, 18 weeks of a training block under your belt, that may be like, I want to see you run a marathon pace um, for 12 to 14 miles. And that's going to give me exactly what I need because now at this point you're running on some pretty fatigued legs uh, because of your training over the last however many weeks. Um, and I have this data from Run Easy that's telling me um, that over the last 20 weeks or 16 weeks or 12 weeks, I've seen this guy improve because he's been putting in the work to improve his single leg stability. His symmetry has improved. Um, his cadence is right where we want it to be. And he just nailed this... Um, this race pace segment, um, I'm pretty confident that on race day, 
negating all the factors that come along with race day, right? Like um, weather and and crowd and whatever nutrition we're going to assume is where we want it to be. I'm pretty confident that Matthew can nail this time based on what he was able to simulate in this race. So a lot of it comes down to the simulation. Show me what you can actually do. Now, if we're just going off of run easy, I don't know that run easy really gives us the, the an insight into how fast you can run a race. Um, I think that predicting a person's potential in a race comes down to what you've done over the last 12 to 24 weeks consistently. Everybody can have a a run where you go out, man, you are flying and you feel great. You aren't, you aren't breathing hard and you run a perfect, you know, like you, that's exactly what I want to do in my race. And that's great. But have you been able to approach anything close to that consistently? You know, I think that if you want to predict somebody's race, you've got to look at several weeks not months of data to see what their training has looked like leading up to a race. So run easy. I don't know that it really um, will give us race specific data. I think that predicting somebody's race really comes down to looking at their training um, and setting, you've got to set some ambitious goals too, right? So if, if you've got a 10K coming up in, in four months and you've been kind of stuck at a, say, a nine minute per mile pace, for for the last few 10k's you've done let's set some ambitious goals and really and work and work towards them and um and four to six weeks out we'll have a pretty good idea of whether you're getting close to that but it's the work leading up to that that that'll tell us that for sure um all right so how do you uh, find that runners can like balance between the running and lifting if they're kind of new to it? You know, like you're going to experience that uh, muscle fatigueness, obviously, especially if you're not used to, to lifting every day or, or lifting, you know, two to three times a week. Uh, I guess like what, what do you think like the best way to like start that for somebody new? Yeah. So um, first, I wouldn't introduce um, um, lifting. Uh, relative to uh, if, if, if you have a goal race in six weeks, 10 weeks, I'm not going to introduce a bunch of lifting uh, at that point in your training. I do think that at that point in your training, you can still benefit from some fairly um, challenging body weight exercises. Like if you haven't done them, doing some single leg um, um, deadlift, doing some single leg bridges, even just some air squats at that point. If you haven't done much strength training, the stimulus that's required to uh, realize the gains is not that big. Um, so if somebody's relatively close to a race day, um, I, I don't mind introducing some strength training. I think it just has to be uh, calculated. And like we said, with that 80-20, kind of like 80% of your time running, 20% uh, all the other things, when you're approaching a race day, maybe it becomes 90-10. You do less of the other things, um, the cross-training, and, and focus more time. Now, if we're talking like like you get through this gauntlet of your marathons and you don't have another race scheduled till fall, let's say, right? Like a distance race that you're really hoping to, to nail. I'm going to say give me 12 weeks and we're really going to focus on if you can master these movements with your body weight, 
now we can uh, introduce some outside resistance, whether that be band resistance, whether that be dumbbells, kettlebells, you know, that kind of thing. And let's build from there. Um, and there's always this fear that that's going to um, affect how fast and how far I can run. And I think that there certainly is um, a, a cumulative effect of fatigue when it comes to introducing that. But that's kind of what training is about, right? Creating this this fatigue level that you can recover from that then makes you a little bit stronger or makes you a little bit more efficient because now you can run with more fatigue. Um, so I think it depends on where somebody's at and in terms of what we introduce and somebody's experience level with strength training. A lot of times people will say they strength train and you ask them what it is and it's like, well, probably for the last four or five years I've been doing some some squats and some bridges and um, and uh, and I do some like bench press, chest push-ups maybe even, right? Well, if you've been doing that for that long and you're... Staying the same. Yeah, you, you aren't moving, right? So your strength training doesn't really mean a whole lot. So we've got to, just, just as we do with our running, we, we, work, we look to work a little harder in our training. Uh, as we go and progress, we've got to do the same with our strength training. For sure. Um, so I kind of asked uh, Casey Hill this question yeah. already, but I was just kind of curious to, once an ambitious runner achieves a certain time that they had desired for a marathon, and for example... We can just use me and we can use the term three hour marathon, right? So yeah. every, most people in my age group are striving for the sub three hour marathon. What, how do you know what is your, your next, uh, your next approach? And this is kind of feeding off of that previous question when I was saying like how to set like your race uh, goals and things like that. Yeah. If I was to run a sub three hour marathon, let's say a two fifty six this fall, mm-hmm what is a how do i know when my next stopping point is you know like what do you how do you know when you've hit, hit your threshold like when do you know when enough is enough i guess like what is uh, a specific individual's ceiling like how how Correct. fast can you get right yeah it's kind of hard to tell huh? <laughs> yeah i mean um there are so many things that you can tweak um to to hopefully achieve improvement, right? And, you know, it, would, it may take a deep dive with somebody who's pretty fine-tuned. So if somebody's like, like yourself, very focused and very driven, and I, I sit down with you and say, man, let's take a deep dive. What does your training look like? And, and we nail training in terms of just your running, right? Like, oh, we've, we've, we've got this. We've nailed it. All right, now let's start looking at the things outside of your running. Let's do a physical exam. Let's see where you can improve in your running efficiency if we attack um, some asymmetries in terms of strength. Um, boom, we nail that. This is what your strength training is going to look like. You've done it for 12, 14 weeks, and now you're doing more maintenance as you're increasing your volume. And, and we've, we think we've nailed that. Um, that's where a lot of people would stop. Like, my training is great. Well, what does your fueling look like on a long run? Right? Have we nailed that? I don't know. Let's nail that. Um, and that's a moving target. That may change. Uh, what, uh, what's your typical sleep pattern like? How much sleep are you getting every night? Um, okay, we nailed that. 
Um, all right, let's just talk about general life. Like, I don't know, what's stress like with your work and, and, and doing a podcast and, and training? And um, are there areas where we can um, affect your training uh, based on days where you've got 13, 14 hours of work and then you're going out and trying to do a midweek longish run? Right? How do we affect kind of your relationship from stress to your training? All this to illustrate that there are so many things that go into like achieving a faster time in a race. Um, I think there's always just going to be something that we can try to tweak or improve. Um, and so it's really hard to, to say what somebody's ceiling is. And I, I think that's the reason why, you know, everybody from your 16 minute per mile runners to your elites. Um, that's why we run. That's why we race, right? To to consistently push ourselves to get a little bit better. Whether people are trying to race and achieve a time, or whether people are just trying to be a little bit healthier and and um, be able to play with their kids more, or whatever, what what have you. There's a goal to get a little bit better when you're running, right? Uh, be a little healthier. So, I think that um, we don't know what that ceiling is. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's a smart man. Yeah, I mean it's just kind of like strange. And I mean, because I'm asking this question to both of y'all because y'all are both, you know, I guess like the, involved with the science, right? Yeah. And like, kind of, you see more people than that are involved with run runner injuries and like things that push them to their limits. So that's kind of why I was like driving this question towards basically both of y'all just kind of see like what that threshold was but yeah i I like the answer though i mean on the flip side of that matthew i think that there's this other part of it where there are certainly people who walk through the door who want nothing more than to be able to run really really fast but you get into it and you dive in and one there's no consistency there's very little discipline there's not really a willingness to change how they're going about things. Um, and caveat again, I can be completely wrong and maybe they're doing it the right way for them. Right. But I, I think that um, you can, it may be easier to identify people who likely aren't going to necessarily get better than it is to identify people who are just going to blow the doors off, you know. Um, there's a there's a common thread in, in athletes that, tend to get better and that's consistency staying consistently healthy and being able to train to get better right somebody who's consistently injured is just never gonna um never going to realize the gains that they want or or that they can achieve if they are you know there's always injury that's setting them back um and there's just a there's a there's an innate motivation to do it there's a why People who have a why, people who have a reason that they're doing this as opposed to, man, I just want to be better than the next person. Um, most of the time there has to be this this reason that it means something to you to really achieve those heights. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I, I ask everybody this too that I interview, so like what, why are you personally doing this? Since you brought up the why, like why are you doing what you're doing? You know, like why are you involved with you know i know you said that you enjoy like the passion behind running and stuff but like you know i mean what what keeps you going yeah i mean 
two parts to that. I mean, I think that um, for myself, running is, um, and and I, I I've had to explore that a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, like I said, I haven't raced a lot, and I just haven't had much of a desire to to race. Um, and so I've I've kind of explored that a lot myself. But um, currently, for me, running is something that is. Um, it's fun. All right. You know, it's like fun for me to lace up and just go outside and, um, and try to zone out. I've spent less time running with a watch or looking at my watch while I'm running to know how fast I'm going and how far I'm going. Like I've just spent less time doing that than I ever have in these last years. Uh, I mean, one or two years. Um, but if you'd asked me five years ago, my why was, man, I just, you know, the competitiveness, I want to get faster. I want to go further, all those things. Um, so I think that changes, but truly my why with running is that, um, there's a mental health component. I think it just, uh, I am a better, um, partner, father, um, brother, son, uh, all those things when I, uh, when I'm running, it just feels better to me. Um, and the idea that I want to be doing this when I'm, you know, 70, 80, if I live that long, you know, I want to be able to do this forever and, um, to be able to be physical and move and, 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 and enjoy a run. That's why I do it now. Um, and the other part of that is that, you know, I do this in terms of the stride shop because, um, because know, knowing how much running means to me, um, to work with people who may be struggling to, to do that as much as they would like, um, and being able to in some way help or to, to help people reach their goals, uh, in the sport of running, uh, it just means a lot. I had this conversation the other day and I've had this several times over years is that I just genuinely like what I do. Uh, it's running is, uh, I've found a space in physical therapy that means truly means a lot to me. Um, and so, uh, my why is that running just means a lot, um, for several reasons, but it means a lot to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I greatly appreciate that answer. Uh, it's kind of similar to my why now, I've uh, mentioned it before in previous podcasts. Like I'm doing this to become the man that's gonna make my kids proud. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's. I I started this as a fitness journey, and then like I feel like I've I've achieved the fitness portion. Needless to speak, but yeah. now it's like, you know, I want to be like that role model for like my kids and you know that future household member. Kind of exactly what you were saying. So I kind of like that. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff, man. And and. Um, you know, it's, it, everybody has their their thing um, that kind of gives them meaning, and and we talked about this a little bit um, before. Like running can't be your all and everything, but it certainly is a big part of a lot of people's lives, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And uh, how you were talking about comparing earlier, I it, it struck me to hit. To read this uh, in Galatians uh, 6, it says, uh, Galatians 6, 4, it says, Be, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we each are responsible for our own conduct. So, yeah, 
I thought that was pretty powerful. It hit me whenever you were speaking. I was like, yeah, that's like spot on. I need to read that, you know, so. Yeah, we need those reminders all the time, right? Comparison is, um, what is it? The comparison is the, the thief of joy. joy. Yeah, I yep. mean, it's very true. It's simple, but it's true. And, and we can all say it, but to truly. Um, mean it. Yeah, and practice that and um, and actually believe it as opposed to just say it. It's a, it. It's a practice. That's exactly what it is. You have to do it over and over and over and over. And when you think you're good at it, keep going, you know? Um, It's a hard thing to do in in running, especially when we're overwhelmed with people posting their times and um, this crazy workout that they did. And, um, you know, there's always a... There's a healthy competition, which is great. But um, comparing yourself and saying that you're not good enough is not very helpful, right? Correct. Yeah, I find uh, Strava is the is the worst spot for that. But <laughs> it's also good to kind of get a feel. But you, like you said, you don't want to be too caught up into the 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 weeds. I guess you could say of uh, nitpicking numbers. Yeah, it's provided a lot of us, and especially during COVID, right? Like uh, the lockdowns, and and um, it provided a lot of people with community, right? Running in a lot of ways is even those of us who train alone and do all of our long runs alone and do all these things by themselves. Um, in the end, like running is about finding some community for a lot of people. Um, and for a lot of people, that's all, that's all it is, is finding community. Right. right. Um, and I think Strava and whatever, uh, app that you wanted to use, it provided a lot of us with that, um, during a time where there wasn't, um, that, so it, it has its certainly has its perks, but um, but yeah, it has its drawbacks, and you know, comparison is one of them for sure. For sure. Um, what, I see you have a couple of books on your shelf. So, like, what are some good book recommendation recommendations that you would give to like uh, new runners and things like that? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I just remember. Uh, I mean, Born to Run is one of those books that I think, is it even up here? I don't think it's up there. Um, Born to Run is a book that um, I think, and aside from the idea that everybody wanted to run barefoot after that, I think Born to Run was just a really, really cool book. Um, uh, Once a Runner is up here, right? Yeah, uh, Once a Runner is a is a fiction um, book that uh, that just kind of encompasses, it just kind of like, um, I, I couldn't put it down. You kind of find yourself uh, wanting to see what happens. And it's fiction. I don't read a lot of fiction, but Once a Runner is one of those uh, like kind of zone out um, cool books that uh, is just the story of a young guy who's uh, who goes through you know life and college and training and all the things that go along with it. Um, so, you know, those are two maybe books that I feel like um, I read a long time ago that, that really helped, uh, in my running journey, just, just fun books. When you come to like, um, I don't know, more science and important books, training essentials for ultra running by Jason Coop is a great book. If you're, if you're ever thinking about uh, taking on a, um, a longer distance run, that's a great one. Um, you, you know, you see the inner game of tennis up there. Um, which when we talk about running, it doesn't really have a lot to do with running, but it, it has a lot to do with, uh, with individual sport. An individual sport like running, 
when you've got a two hour long run and you're doing it by yourself, uh, how many times do you go through that like inner monologue of this hurts, this sucks, I'm thirsty, it's hot, like why am I doing, you know, like all those thoughts that go through your head um, and Inner Game of Tennis is just one of those books that kind of explores our inner monologue and how our self-talk is and how we coach ourselves in terms of um, all of the all of the um, all of the the input that we get from other people like a, um, I don't know I thought that was a great book for me especially as a coach working with other athletes so um, I mean there are a million books out there but those have, those have been um, helpful for me awesome well I appreciate that I'm a put those down in the show notes too uh so i always ask this stuff uh to everybody too like so what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out today let's say they bought the first pair of running shoes yeah. and like you know you're friends with them or whatever they say hey like what kind of run should i do today yeah go slow go <laughs> go really slow uh i always recommend a, a run walk for people who are starting out even people who have some experience i I've got people doing run walk fairly often, uh, whether that be in, in terms of recovery or coming back from injury or, um, or with the heat, you know? Um, but I would, for somebody who's starting out, I would say if you can start out running two to three times a week, start out by running two to three minutes at a time, walking two to three minutes at a time, and just try to get 25 minutes under your belt to start. Right, so that's five rounds of a two-minute jog, three-minute walk, and see how you feel. Um, do a proper warm-up, right, and that could be as simple as I'm going to walk for six or seven minutes, um, and do that for two to three months. Right, you can build in a little bit more. You can work your way up to thirty, thirty-five, forty minutes, but I think um, again seeing what other people are doing forces or forces our hands sometimes and we want to go farther and we want to go faster but running is something that if you are getting into is something that i think is really valuable you can do it for forever if you do it right right and so if you start slow and really build into it i think that um that you're setting yourself up for success so get yourself a good pair of shoes start slow jog walk and uh and see what happens in three months (laughs) Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, so this is going to be the last question that I'm going to ask you. Uh, so like, what kind of new things do you do you plan on bringing into the stride shop in the future? How do you see this expanding? I know you'll have two shops, one in Baton Rouge and uh, one in New Orleans. So yeah, between you and your, you and your team, your, your, um, your, I don't know, how, your, your co-owner, yeah. how do y'all like plan on, you know, approaching the, the next steps, I guess. Yeah. We've got lots of crazy ideas. Um, uh, I don't know how how many of them are close to coming to fruition, but um, at the moment we're we're really just focused on um, on on getting people um, getting people to be aware that we're here. One, two, just creating an experience for people that walk through our door that is not like anything that they've gotten anywhere else where they've gone for physical therapy or gait analysis or coaching. Um, 
and three, um, becoming the go-to resource for uh, endurance athletes and just people who want to live an active lifestyle in Louisiana. You know, we've had people drive from Mississippi, Alabama, um, because there just isn't a whole lot of what we do in the Southeast generally, right. which is humbling and and um, and um, and and kind of uh, makes us reassured that we're doing some good things. But um, aside from like you know wanting to to possibly start a run club or host a race or um, grow our space and be able to provide um, um, a different atmosphere or our own brick and mortar at some point. Um, Right now, I think our biggest focus is on how do we provide an experience that when somebody walks out of the door, they're going to go to their run with their buddy and say, man, you know what? Um, I have not had an experience like I had with physical therapy at the stride shop. You really should check them out, and uh, and being being the resource that people um, trust. You know, um, you and I have had some conversations um, that extend outside of like uh, this hurts or this is how I improve my running. It's just like um, you know, we'll text or whatever, and I do that with several of my clients, and I just don't see that that happens with healthcare in general these days and being able to have just a resource on your team, I think is important. Um, and that's kind of what we want to be for people. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that answer, man. And thanks for your time. Do you uh, want to add anything else in here? No, I appreciate you coming in and I appreciate, you know, last weekend, uh, as we're taping now, last weekend was the Louisiana marathon and right. that weekend just, uh, you know, every year just kind of reinforces how special the, the running community is in general. And, um, in Baton Rouge in Louisiana and um, and I just appreciate being able to uh, to be a part of that here over the last year and a half in Baton Rouge and and just hope that uh, that we continue to be able to be a part of it for sure yeah I thanks man that. yeah thank you yeah. sounds good and with that that is the end of the episode with me and Naraj's interview if you guys have any questions feel free to reach out to Naraj um, with his Instagram social medias um, that will be listed below and if you have any questions for me, feel free to email me, DM me on Instagram. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a rating and share it with a friend. I greatly appreciate all of you guys tuning in each and every week. And until next week, it's time for you to get back on your grindstone so you can achieve the next milestone. I've been set free. I've got a long way to go. But Lord, I step I'm gonna take when you're not with me I've got a long